Good evening, everyone. It's Bruce McLean, and I am back on Rugger Matrix USA, and I'm glad to be here. Bronk, take us in, baby. Oh, you betcha, baby. Bruce McLean is back, and he's very happy. Lots to talk about. Churchill Cup, the USA, big win first up. Then we have the Sevens. Fantastic action there. And look back at the final with Bruce. Oh, yes, it is a great show today because we welcome back Bruce McLean from New York, the successful championship coach of the Super League. Bruce, good evening once again. We missed you. Bronk, I'll tell you, I absolutely miss doing the show, and I know that uh, you had gotten the emails when when we were teeing up Mike and and Paul and everybody who would who would filled in for me as 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 I was away, and they would have been our guests anyway. And today we're just gonna have a show where it's you and I, and we'll go through a few things, and and I thank everybody for their thoughts and prayers regarding my mom. She is. She's got a chance. She is definitely not doing well, um, but there is an opportunity. We kind of do need a uh, a Johnny Wilkinson moment or something of the sort, or in in, in New York Athletic Club parlance, a a Troy Hall moment. But um, you know, I, I really do appreciate everyone's thoughts and prayers. And as I said, she she still has a chance of of coming through this. And and so we're we're giving it the fight, and my mom would give it as as big of a fight as she could, and and she is giving it as big of a fight as she could. And I just, again, I appreciate everybody, and I appreciate the emails, and I I appreciate the phone calls, and I appreciate the Facebook messages, and all that. And I and I will uh, hopefully be coming back to you with good news within the next few weeks. We shall see. Well, we certainly wish you and your mother all the best. So, Bruce, it's great to have you back on the show, and we know it's been a hard couple of weeks for you. But we've got a number of things to talk about. We've got college uh, sevens to talk about. We've got uh, the Churchill Cup to talk about. And later on at the back end of the show, from a coaching point of view, we'll go into detail about uh, your magnificent win. And I've got to say, as I gave the coaches a wrap last week, Mike Tolkien and Paul Keeler, that uh, congratulations on that match. It was a great advertisement for rugby in America, and I think people should take, uh, take notice of the states and what a great job that both east and west coast teams were doing so congratulations first up about that before we get into it yeah it was terrific and and it was a terrific game and and i, I gotta say that i i feel bad for golden gate not too bad but <laughs> i feel bad enough that that essentially the clock ran out on them because that game just kind of went back and forth and it was the last team who scored was going to win and, and fortunately for us it was us yeah. but that being said, before we get started on our Churchill Cup, I wanted to tell you about something I did yesterday. I, I, before I went to go see my mom in the hospital, I stopped off at Randall's Island, and they had what's called the Mayor's Cup, which is Play Rugby USA. And they have they provide rugby to inner-city youth in, in middle schools and grammar schools throughout New York City. And 58 teams participated in a flag rugby event. It was insane. There was like 800 kids, 
and probably a few hundred fans between parents and teachers and and school administrators and 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 city people, city parks people. I was absolutely floored. I had been there before. I'd been there the year before when it was up at Columbia University. They had it down at Randall's Island at the at the new rugby facility. The the they had twelve fields going with all these kids all over the place. And Bronk, when I tell you. It was amazing, and you see the athleticism. What I saw was because it was flag rugby, and on the on a, and when they grabbed the flag, you just make the offload. I just saw kids naturally like uh, absorbing and 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 participating in the offload game. They just ran off each other fluidly, and they just ran off each other in such a way that was just. They were they were playing. They were having fun. They didn't feel like there was any real pressure on them as to how they played. They they just went out there and and for the love of it, they just got into the entire game and 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 it was nice to see the offload game. It was nice to see young kids. It was nice to see tremendous athletes playing. And what they do is they take each school and they give them a jersey. Like say for instance you you played at whatever school you went to and I played at say Joey's or or Scott's or whatever and I, and I may have worn the Tonga jersey, you may have worn the Samoa jersey, someone else may have worn the Australian jersey, someone else may have worn a New Zealand jersey or an Ireland jersey. And, and what they did is they gave all the kids a, a full set of jerseys that were sponsored and then they gave them a kit as to <clears throat> what was what what is that country about? What is the rugby in the country about? Where's the location of the country? How many people live there? What are their major exports? What do they do? You know, all these things that had the kids learn about the country that they quote unquote were representing. And I gotta say that Mark Griffin, Christian Mayo, formerly of North's Northern Suburbs in Sydney, they did an outstanding job, Bronk. It was it was so much fun and just to go out there and see, I saw all the guys on my team were out there and guys on Old Blue and guys in the Village Lions and the Gotham Knights and everybody's out there. They were reffing games and setting up fields and collecting garbage and doing – really just doing anything to make it work. And, and, and I'll tell you, the job that Mayo, Griff, and and, and, um, and Dom and, and have, have done, Dom Waring from Old Blue have done in, in, in order to make this go was tremendous and it was a lot of fun. And I would encourage anyone who wants to get something started in their city to speak to those guys. It was awesome. Awesome. Well, isn't that great to see uh, a great carnival of uh, kids playing rugby? It's uh, terrific. So uh, hopefully they could be Eagles one day. And let's head to that uh, discussion now. And uh, the Churchill Cup is underway. So in the round robin of play underway so far last weekend, uh, well, this weekend just passed. Uh, Canada defeated Uruguay 48 points to 6. Of course, that margin, very handy for them. But also a handy margin, too, for the Eagles. 39 points to 22 over the Big Bears from Russia. Pretty uh, good effort first up. They were a bit rusty, though, Bruce. Uh, however, they still got the points, which is pretty important. Yeah. By by defeating Russia by 15 points, what, what that does is in in the... In the IRB rankings, if you get a 15-point-plus victory, they multiply your your increase in rankings points by 1.5. Now, Canada gets it, too, for beating Uruguay relatively handily, and, and I don't think that's unexpected from the Canadian point of view. 
I don't particularly think Uruguay is that good of a team. But I got to say, I saw the USA play Russia, and I was surprised. I, I really thought that the USA was going to go and overwhelm them. And kind of what happened, Russia played some pretty good rugby. And they have a pretty – they have a lot of ability. And where the USA really won the game was in their back three. They had Paul Emmerich, who is a professional player in Europe. Chris Wiles, who was a professional player for Saracens in Europe and just, just had come off the Guinness Premiership um, narrow loss. And then they have Zina Guanyu, who everybody in the world knows from his famous tries and his, and his work at Bear Ritz. Those guys really came to play. Mike Petrie from the New York Athletic Club came to play. And, and, but I do think that there was a little bit of they, – they were a little bit disjointed. They had had a couple camps during the Super League season, and they had, you know, they had put in some systems in, in terms of defense and put in some systems in terms of contact area. But they really hadn't gotten a chance to actually put in a game plan because so many of these key players were missing. And one of the things that, that really happened was Patrick Danahy from life came off the bench and really had an impact on the game. And and I think that Albert um, Alapate Tuilavuka, everybody knows him as Pate, but Alapate Tuilavuka from formerly of BYU came off the bench as well and had a tremendous impact on the game in the midfield. And I think that USA is really going to have to take a look and say, who is our best 15? I think that without Clever, they don't have Will Johnson, who's who's finishing his dissertation at um, at Oxford, and Jacob Sprague from the New York Athletic Club having his injury that he's unable to play. I think that that kind of threw him a little bit for a loop, and they're trying to find out exactly who is their best 15 and what is going to be their most effective 15. <clears throat> that being said, the United States played essentially not their best game. I'm not going to say they played poorly, <clears throat> but they didn't play their best game, and they still, still scored 39 points. Russia scored 17 points, 10 minutes either side of halftime. So, you know, U.S. just kind of made a couple silly mistakes that allowed Russia to score their points, and and I think that this was step one, and I think that moving forward, hopefully we're going to see an, an enormously improved team for the USA that plays against Canada in the, um, in the Churchill Cup finals, which will probably be for the plate. And I'm only saying that I'm not anticipating that the USA is going to beat the England Saxons. In, in on next Saturday when they play in Glendale, and I am certainly not going to th- not going to anticipate that Canada is going to beat France. A France A came loaded for buck, and I think that it's going to be an England Saxons versus France A final. But Canada versus the USA, both teams have two 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 weeks to prepare for this, and it'll be interesting to see how they come out because these teams need each other and they need to play play against each other and and I don't think Canada was tested against Uruguay. I think the United States was tested against Russia and Russia is going to be in the same pool as them come World Cup time, but I think that I think the United States saw the best Russia is going to have to offer. There's going to be a couple of things that they do a little bit better, but 
I don't anticipate him being a whole lot better come World Cup time. The United States really it will play a lot better, and I think that we actually may be able to get a handy victory over them in the World Cup. But if the U.S. is going to beat Italy, we're going to need more out of that United States team in order for them to beat Italy and get that second win. And I think that they're working toward that. And and I spoke to I spoke to Dave Hodges shortly after the game and I was very excited. I hadn't seen it live. I had seen it today on on the, the one day tape delay, which is when they showed it on T V. And and I was really excited. I'm like one point five time you know, I'm texted all the coaches and I was going you know, I was really like very psyched and really going crazy and you know, when I spoke to Dave, he was pretty matter-of-fact about it. He's like, well, you know, a couple guys came in. They had impact, like Danahy, and guys did, you know, guys really played well. And he was Zina Gwanya really trucked it up and, and, and showed a, a sense of physicality he hadn't shown in the past. And, and we were very happy with that. And But it didn't seem all that excited. And I kind of got whining. And Tolks texted me. He's like, we need to improve he he wasn't he didn't send like yeah it was great it was awesome he just said yeah we need to improve this is we're not at our uh, we're not at our best yet I wasn't fully happy with the way that game was played so and then I saw the game and I understand where they were coming from and I think that we need to we need to lift it that little bit it'll be interesting I'm gonna as I said to you pre-show I think that next week we'll try to get. If we can, if we can tee it up, I don't know if we can try to get Eddie O'Sullivan and Kieran Crowley to be on the show and discuss USA versus Canada, but also to discuss we need each other. In order for Canada to be successful, they need us to be good because they need someone to play against, mm-hmm. and vice versa for us. Because we can't be tramps all over the world playing each. We got to find a way that. At home, I mean, granted, they want to kill us, we want to kill them, but we also need them to be good because we need we need something to measure ourselves against. Austra- One of the things that has helped Australian rugby was the fact that New Zealand was always good, and you played them a lot, and come World Cup time, you knew that no matter what you faced, you were going to be able to deal with it because you played New Zealand three or four times a year. Well, that's Am right, and, then, and in the World Cup, you just have to beat them once. Because you're not going to be drawn right. in a pool with them. So you, you need to beat them once, and you plan for that semi-final or the final. And it came off in 03 to an absolute treat because it was a brilliantly structured game plan by Eddie Jones. So, yeah, that's what you want. You want really good competition, and hopefully Canada can provide that. Um, so Same what, in 91 what, when Linky played. Same in 91. Exactly, exactly. I mean, the World Cup's a different ball game. It's a completely different ball and, game. And, 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 it's a, and it's a different ball game for Tier 1 nations who have a chance to win. There's a difference between a Tier 1 nation like a Wales or or an Argentina that really doesn't have a chance to win and a Tier 1 nation like an Australia, South Africa, France, New Zealand, England that has a chance to win. Not saying England right now, but in, in the past, England has had great success come World Cup time. But you know what I'm saying? Like, when you have a chance to win, that World Cup becomes a lot different. Well, you know, it, you, yeah, and England have the game plan to to win a, a tournament like that or get close to the final each year. You play it because 
you much prefer not to lose the game than win. And when you get in that defensive mindset and you want to kick drop goals and penalty goals, uh, then you're in a really good position. We'll see how they go, actually, in the next two That's actually the, the, the laws of the game, and we're going to get into this later. The laws of the game are not favoring teams that do that anymore. I think that I oh, and, and, yeah, I, and yeah. I, I literally I was on. I was on. A, can't I was see on that happening in the final. Like, uh, I, uh, yeah, I'll, we'll, we'll, talk we'll talk yeah. about it. We'll talk we'll, about it. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it later. But let's let's just yep. finish off the Churchill Cup then. So with two games done, um, do you see are they just nuisance value teams like Uruguay? No, no, no. Because what what Uruguay does, Uruguay is are we nuisance value to the England Saxons? Is you know is Canada nuisance value to France? A the fact of the matter is that just as much as the England Saxons and France A are trying to help America and Canada, the, we also are trying to help Uruguay. And hey, it wasn't too long ago that I, we probably lost a game or two to Uruguay, and if we didn't, would, we've had some very close games with them. So we can't, you know, we can't sit there and say, "Oh, we're too good to play you." That's nonsense. As much as the United States needs Canada, the United States needs Argentina and Uruguay, and Argentina needs the United States, Canada, and Uruguay to up the level so that they have somebody to play. And even if it's not the full Argentina team, if it's the Jaguars or whatever, they need somebody that they can compete against. It wasn't long ago that we could compete against Argentina, and now we can't. But in the mid-early 90s, we could. Well, you've pretty we much lost. Win, uh, but yeah. we... Argentina are now uh, scooped into the. Oh, they're Tri-Nation. a tier one nation. Yeah. Oh, they're they're, they're and, and, which is fine. But we could still play the Jaguars. We could still, you know, we could still play the amateur Argentinian comp- competition. Hmm. And but we need to up our level, and we need to help Uruguay up their level, and Chile, and and we need each other. Mexico, we all need each other. We need to have our geographical locations so that we can compete against each other and hopefully be in a competition that's good enough to allow us to compete against the Russias and the Spains and the Portugals and the and the Romanias and possibly I think even coming soon the Italy's, the Scotland's and the Wales's of the world, who I think are soon to be tier two. Not not so much Wales, but definitely Italy and Scotland. Can I pick up on a point you mentioned before with Zina Gwenya, um showing a bit more was he a bit more aggressive? You said he trucked the ball up. Uh, he definitely uh, was impressive for Biritz this year and Heineken Cup and uh, top 14. Yeah, he was aggressive and he did truck the ball up. And Dave Dave Hodges does not say those things lightly. Like for Dave to say something positive about a winger trucking the ball up <laughs> and, and you know, he really means it. He doesn't just – he's not going to say something about a player – that if he really doesn't mean it, and and I think that, I think that a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's playing in France, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that he wants the ball, he wants to make something happen, and I think that one of the reasons that maybe America wasn't playing particularly particularly well as we as we were speaking, as as we watched the game was that I I don't think they really had a because they haven't had Z in the camps and they haven't had Wiles in the camps and they haven't had Emmerich in the camps, they didn't really have a way to inject the back three into the game to 
to be able to use them as a weapon, have one guy be a weapon in the midfield and then have and then attack them wide with the other two. Or to be able to play like a smash it up in the midfield and play a double half back I mean a double fly half offense where you just took whichever side they gave you. And I and I think that all those things are gonna come as they're able to practice with them. But the Eagles only had three or four days of practice before they played Russia due to the Super League championship and a couple other things. So I think that that's all going to come as to how are they going to use Wiles, how are they going to use Z, how are they going to use Emmerich, and and then when they do that, I think that you'll start to see us clicking a lot better. All right. So... The Churchill Cup underway, and uh, we're looking forward to the next match for the USA, which will be the Saxons on Sunday. It'll be the Saxons next. Yeah, it'll be the Saxons next week, and and uh, Simon Hardy is coaching the Saxons, and he he uh, he was out there, and and he went to the game, and uh, and 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 he also was he was actually impressed with Russia as well. It. As Eddie said on the show, I I don't think that he's going to select his first team against the Saxons. I I think that he's going to – that's going to be the game that he gives people a chance. Yeah. So it's going to be kind of the the put-up-or-shut-up game because on home soil, we have an opportunity to now probably have two rankings games between the Canada game and and the the Russia game, and we've already – done the job against Russia and now hopefully we can continue and do the job against Canada and the thing is going to be can we stop Canada playing can we stop Canada from running the ball back at us when we kick and and if we can then we have a we we have a chance of being successful because that's that's the Canadian way that's the Kieran Crowley likes to run the rugby ball and Eddie O'Sullivan understands that we are here to outscore the opposition, not necessarily outplay them. All right, so Churchill Cup underway. Let's talk College Sevens because this has been a pretty big weekend, a pretty successful um, enterprise, and uh, I think you're pretty chuffed by the whole thing, Bruce. Well, i got to be honest with you, Bronk. I, I was... I was watching it on TV. It was on NBC, which is a, a major it's, network for us. Oh, major. And, yeah. Yeah, well, major. I mean, this is – and then today we saw a game between Utah and and Cal Berkeley, and Utah was able to beat Cal Berkeley in overtime. Cal Berkeley hasn't lost a rugby game in over a year. It was amazing. One of the kids from uh, from Xavier, Seamus Kelly, was playing for Cal Berkeley, and he had he had done well. I think that during the course of the during the course of the of the of the tournament, Cal had outscored the opposition one hundred and fifty six to seven, and Utah is actually coached by Blake Burdett, who was a member of the New York Athletic Club's two thousand and eight championship team, and he's their fifteens coach. He was a he was a front row forward. <laughs> he was a front row forward in the World Cup in 2007 at, at Prop and Hooker, but um, <laughs> he 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 has him, he has he does have himself a threatened Palamo, who is a, a USA Sevens player who who took the lead in the game, and he's got a guy named Dom Potti, 
who was a who was a USA on the twenty scrum half, and I for the life of me I forget the name of that winger, but God, he is he is a very gifted player, and they, and then they they had the kicking of Wonderly, and, and I, they were just the event and the way it was put on and the way it was presented and the fact that these guys played relatively good sevens when really they had never played sevens in their lives. So they had about a month or a month and a half to prepare and they played sevens and they, and they did a good job of it. And you could see the speed, the athleticism, the hustle and the fitness the skill was there at times. The skill also broke down at times. But I think that happens in any non-professional sevens tournament, that the skill does break down a little bit. And and I think that we have something here now where the colleges and, – and, and, and the other thing was there was more parity than I, than I would have expected. There was – there were games where where I would have expected blowouts that were relatively close. And – I think that because there was some parity and because one or two or three players really can make a difference as to as to your success level where it is in a game of fifteens, it is it is a full team effort and you have to really be on the ball and, and it's a it's a long period of time and it's very difficult to have an upset in a fifteens game. Whereas in sevens, man, this thing's over in seven minutes. Or fourteen minutes and it's seven minute has and it's like bam, you could be down twenty-one, nothing. If you fall asleep, and and you can't get back into the game. So I I like the fact that there were upsets. I like the fact that, and I think that the American public may like that. Um, I was happy with. I was I was incredibly surprised at what I saw. If when you look at the two locker rooms, they showed them prior to the game. They had the Cal locker room. The guys were in a circle. And they were ready to go, and they were talking, and they were and they were very focused on the rugby. The Utah guys are sitting there dancing. <laughs> I mean, dance literally dancing. And then some guy does a legit split with his cleats sliding across the concrete floor, and did a. I'm sitting there going, "Oh my god, this kid may get hurt." <laughs> he did a full out split, and I and I and I, I texted talking. I texted him. I said. Well, it's pretty clear who's going to win this game based on the locker room activities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I could not have been more wrong. The, they well, it's went sevens, out, they baby. Were, <laughs> it is sevens. And, and it, was, it, was, it was a lot of fun, Bronk. It was – and I think that we're going to be seeing something going forward. I'd love to see something regionally within the high schools that teams do this. I don't think that it, it's – necessarily prudent to do it on a national level, but I think it would be nice for the high schools to do it regionally. I think that this national college sevens was terrific and, and I and it's only gonna get bigger. It's only gonna get better. It's only gonna it's only gonna really bring university administrations. Our biggest uh hurdle is getting the university administration to buy into the fact that rugby is not a sport of just a bunch of renegade drunks <laughs> and you could see that these guys were student athletes and that they really embodied the spirit of what we were tr- what what rugby players are trying to achieve and it was terrific it was terrific and 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 I can't 
speak more highly of what happened. I can't speak more highly of the event. And I and I hope that this continues and I hope that within the college Premier League setup and all the and all the things that they have going on in competitions, that they find a way to make make sevens, give it carve it out its little piece and its little niche into the into the world of rugby because the Olympics will be very important for us. And it'll be very important for the 15s game because through sevens, it'll attract people who can't or are not going to be good enough to play sevens, but who will be actually ideal to play 15s. Just, just, they're just different games. All right. So pretty exciting, even if it is sevens. But, uh, Bruce, you're getting on board there. That's good to see. Now let's look at uh, the coaching aspects of the Super League final. And as we talked about off-air, there's a bit of an extrapolation to make here towards the Eagles, and uh, I'm going to get you to explain that in detail in a moment. But it was definitely a tale of two different styles, two very different ways of playing rugby. Um, I've got to say that perhaps um, uh, you, in the end, coached to your team's abilities probably better than the West Coast West Coast outfit in San Francisco. Would that be a fair enough assessment, or do you think it just came down to a bit of luck at the end. I think it came down to a bit of luck at the end. I thought that we both coached to our team's abilities, and I and and where I want to where I want to go to with this, and, I, and I'll tell you what what I, this I'll, I'll go through our game plan. I'll go through what we saw Golden Gate as, and I'll go through what how we felt that we could stop them, and then. I'll talk about how I think that in order for us to be successful as a nation, we have to kind of meld the two systems together. So what we felt was that we were going to have a very strong scrum and that we were going to be able to scrummage with them. We also felt that we would have a reasonably strong line out, but we wouldn't defend line outs well, but we could, we could pressure their scrums and we but we probably wouldn't pressure their lineouts all that well. And we felt that in the contact area, if we played two pass penetrate and we played off 10 and we made them move defenders, that we could keep our feet and find holes. And, and, and what we were doing, when we would go into contact, we would have guys keep their feet and we'd kind of we'd kind of latch on as if we were a front row and keep going and going and going. And we always we always put at least three players into that contact area. And they knew who they were. They knew exactly who they were. We didn't we didn't call exactly who got the ball, but those guys knew what their responsibility. Those three closest guys to that ball carrier got in there and they made it their business to clear that ball out. So we had a very high retention rate, but we also knew that because we committed so many resources to the breakdown that we weren't going to have a very high breakout rate. The other thing we did is we told the players that we, we eliminated a lot of the 50-50 offloads. So we didn't we weren't looking for passes, late passes to chuck people into space, or we weren't looking for anything like that. We basically said, you can't offload the ball unless you've crossed or busted through the tackle line. You didn't have to be, 
you know, fully – you didn't have to be on your feet. You didn't have to make a clean line break. But you had to bust through, have your hands free, and kind of know that somebody was there to make a pass to. We weren't trying to pass, you know, just before contact and send the guy through. We weren't trying to pass in contact because they were bigger than us and they were more physical than us. And if we had tried to pass in contact, they probably would have dominated that contact. And our whole goal was to recycle the ball and dominate the contact and keep our feet. In order to do that, we had to we had to commit to keeping our feet and going forward as opposed to committing to getting our hands free and making that pass. So that's that's kind of how we played it. And then the other thing we said is we weren't – when they kicked to us, we were going to run it back to them. We were going to run it back at them and we were going to get ourselves in formation. Everything we do, we play to try to get ourselves in what we call quote-unquote formation or shape or what other people – so we would try to have one or two guys inside of 10, one or two guys outside of 10 jockeying centers and – centers or uh, or the fly half, and we would play two-pass strike moves. And we just played two-pass strike moves where the whole game was played off 10 because everybody's pretty good in, uh, in some people. We call it one, two, three. The, the USA calls it pillar A, B. Some people call it uh, post-pivot outside, post-XY, um, whatever you call it. The, the first three defenders outside of Ruck. Most teams in America are pretty good in that area, one, two, three, and, and usually one, two, three, four. So what we figured is we're going to try to play the game just off a 10. And for the first time ever, we've actually had a 10 who was a 10. Like we've always had a transplanted fullback or a transplanted center or a transplanted scrum half or a guy who really couldn't kick. We've always had kind of some kind of a screwy 10. All three of our championships, we've had three different tens, and none of them have actually played there. This guy was a ten. He was a he was a real ten. So we were able to play off him. And so what we would do is we would use our forwards, and then we would dump. We, then we would use our forwards as dummy runners and use our centers to strike. And we would look to penetrate before we struck wide. And that is a key to what we were doing. We would penetrate. We would use the forwards, use the backs, use the forwards. But we always tried to penetrate before we tried to strike wide. The other thing we did is in the event that we did have a small line break or in the event that we – a lot of times everybody looks to make that pass to the outside. Most times that passing lane gets cut off. When you try to go outside, the – you know, the Australians, you call it a hustle and a jam line. Most teams will if, – if, if, if you're going to tackle me, the jam line would be just outside of me. And, 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 and so they would come in and cut off those lanes in the, anything that I, could, that I could get to. The hustle line is the inside line. Most teams will cut off that jam line and they'll cut it off pretty well. And there's no options out there and those are where most of your 50-50 mistakes come. Most teams also will not adequately cut off the hustle line because as those players make the tackle, the guys who are running the hustle line tend to want to fold around the other side of the ruck and that inside ball is on. So 
in the event that we made a break, our coaching was, and we and we had just gone through running phases against the fence and just rocking them back and rocking, them, and we just kept on doing it and doing it and doing it until we were purple. And we every time we made a break, look inside. Every time we made a break, look inside. So that guy who was inside a ten, or if there was two of them, we said, no matter what you do, you gotta make sure. That it, in the event we get something, that you're an option on the inside because that's where we can kill them. We didn't have – we knew that <clears> – <throat> we knew that we were talented and we knew that we were smart. But we're not particularly big. We're not particularly strong, nor are we particularly fast. And we're not particularly athletic. We're not bad at any of those things, but relative to the rest of the teams in the league, we're not a whole lot different than them. Relative to Golden Gate, we were a whole lot different. They were significantly faster than us, significantly stronger than us, significantly more explosive than us. We were probably a little bit fitter than them. So we knew we had that. And, and, and our philosophy was there's no defense on the planet that can deal with a steady dose of quick ball. And if you get a steady dose of quick ball where a team can get itself set in formation and they can attack, they're going to have problems defending it. And that was our philosophy for the entire season. So that's where the referee comes into play. And were you happy with the adjudication? Um, I was happy with the adjudication. I, where, where I wasn't happy with the adjudication is, is I, I, I thought that they allowed scrum feeds. But I was happy with the adjudication in that he didn't try to impose himself on the game, nor did the touch judges. And and I'll be honest with you, I, I have only watched uh, half of the video after the game, and it was kind of the Ustream is – it's not the greatest thing to watch. I, I can't really tell. I, I, I texted Paul and asked him for a DVD. Because it give me something to do in the hospital to make me happy, but um, <laughs> I, but so I, I I can't say that I, the guy's a good referee. I mean, the guy's the best referee in the country, and we got the best touch judges. And you know, the touch judges could have injected themselves into the game and didn't. And the referee, in fairness to the referee, was consistent in everything he did. Whether I agreed with him or disagreed with him about the scrum feeds, he he didn't care. Like that's how he called it. And 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 for that, I'm I'm happy with that. And he called the game the way he called it, and I thought that he did a good job. I also thought that the game was incredibly hard to call, and I also thought that the touch judges showed incredible restraint in not injecting themselves into the game and feeling like they needed to be part of it. Hmm. They knew their role and were good at it. I mean, I, I was going absolutely crazy. I mean, I must have cursed them upside down, backwards and sideways. I mean, I cursed the ref. I cursed the fans. I cursed the touch judges. Uh, you know, I mean, it, this there were not there were not many words that had three or five letters coming out of my mouth, but four letter ones they were coming out, and they possibly had ings on them. But that's about it. And 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 it was. And and actually, I spoke to the ref. I actually like these guys. Like, I do like these guys. And I spoke to the ref after the game. Like, you know, I'm sorry. I just, you know, he goes, he goes, to be honest with you, man, he goes, 
I've known you for several years. You don't shut up. I he goes, I don't even pay attention yet. I don't even know what the heck you're saying. He goes, you haven't shut up from the time you get on the sideline. So I, whatever. I, I was. So you're just venting. You're just venting in reality because they, they didn't care. I but, watched the game. I watched the game through one eye hmm. and I, and I don't ever evaluate a referee until I've actually seen a decent video of it. Because when I'm watching the game, the only thing I'm concerned about is getting calls. Uh, when I'm when I'm watching the game yeah. afterward, I'm concerned about the correct. Well, just talk us through the final minutes of the game because this is what championships are all about. So San Francisco and Paul Keeler told us last week uh, when they got in front with only a few minutes to go, he told them to keep them down their end and kick it long. They did the opposite, kicked it short. And as we all know, you ended up getting the penalty and, and winning the match. It was something. Uh, it was something that uh, he obviously found very frustrating and hard to talk about. Well, we, we got we, we got to go back a little bit further. Um, San Francisco Golden Gate probably had the greatest goal line stand in the history of American rugby club rugby. There was an eight to ten minute sequence where we probably went through 40 or 50 or 60 phases of rugby that they shut off now it didn't all happen in one it in one particular sequence but it had you know as a penalty we took a scrum we we never ever went for we didn't want to go for points we the the thing was man kill them keep them down there make those goalposts look like pencils our our thought was that they were bigger than us and they were stronger than us. They weren't fitter than us. But if we let them play from halfway or beyond, then they, they get their tails up and they get fit. But if we make them play from 90 yards away, that mentally that those goalposts are looking really far away. And we wanted them to mentally – we wanted to stress them out mentally because we felt that that would take the physicality out of them. That would take them away physically. So we wanted them to be mentally drained. We want, we didn't want to let them out of jail by kicking a goal and then saying they can have a kickoff. We wanted to, we wanted to score a try. When we were down there, we wanted to come away with five or seven. So, and that, that's what we did. And we made some dumb decisions in the process, but, but we did it. And we believed in what we were doing, and we came away with it. Well, another time, as, we, as the game got later, they broke – they made a, a great defensive stand and broke out. And then this winger, uh, Colada, Colada, he he looks like a prop and runs like a four-five. <coughs> ran over our wing, ran over our fullback, and offloaded and got and put the game essentially, seemingly put the game away when they scored under the sticks and went ahead twenty-five eighteen. We had gotten a scrum. And and it was one of the things that we had done well all day had been scrummaging, and we had gotten a right shoulder, just a basic eight nine flip. Instead of having fifteen coming through, we we just put Troy Hall or twelve only because he's our best runner. And so essentially, where a normal fifteen would play, we just played our twelve. And he went through. Petri made a half break. They overcommitted to Petri. He just fed Troy, who stepped in and went under the sticks from sixty five. Now the game's tied. Agree with Paul. They should have kicked long. However, 
their center field kickoff had been going well all game. And what ha- what if you had watched us practice the day before the game, you would have thought that we were a Division Three mid-table side. Because we knew that they were going to have a center field kickoff. But on our Thursday practice prior to flying out there, there was a massive lightning storm in New York and we couldn't train. So we just had a walkthrough underneath in a parking lot underneath a, uh, an elevated roadway while our field was getting peppered with lightning. And so we just – so we never really got a chance to address that center field kickoff because we hadn't – we really hadn't prepared for Golden Gate until that week. So we go out there and, you know, Mike was like, all right, so what we'll do is we'll practice the center field kickoff a lot so that maybe they won't do it to us. Well, yeah, did we practice it a lot? We practiced dropping it in front of them like six times in a row. <laughs> so come game day, the center field kickoff became the steady diet of play. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so dear. it was like we sat there to say like, yeah, we know what we're doing and we just dropped everything. So and so they would so they tried it. And they butchered it, and we got a midfield scrum, bam, 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 uh, got a penalty. Uh, I, I don't particularly know what it was for, but whatever it was for, it's good enough for me. And O'Brien made a kick with 7.6 seconds left. You can see the touch judge flags going up in the picture that they, the Golden Gate guys took. Mm-hmm. And, and I spoke to the referee after the game, and I thought he was correct in awarding and allowing the kickoff to happen. Hmm. Cause I, I thought that, that game should not have ended then. They didn't deserve to lose right yet. Hmm. They kick off center field. We actually take it. We win the ball. We get it to our fly half who hacks it to try to kick it out to end the game. He doesn't kick it out. He kicks it right in the hands of the winger who ran us over to score the winning try. <laughs> and he trucks it up, and they go through three or four phases, and then they eventually knock it on. But they were about 18 yards from goal when they knocked it on. Yep. The yep. thing I was scared about wasn't so much scared about that they would score a try. I was scared about that if they kept going through the multiple phases, that we would not be able to that, – that they would get a penalty. And that would put us in overtime. I wasn't scared about overtimes. I actually felt we would win in overtime because it, it was two tens. It's not a sudden death. It's two tens and then sudden death in the third one. Mm. We're not like the Heineken Cup. We actually have a winner, not a kickoff. Um, or even the World Cup, for that matter, has a kickoff, which is a disgrace. Um, so that was – so that was um, – that's what happened. And And really one of the nicest guys in – in rugby, one of the guys I respect more than anybody, Albert Tuipoloto, was the guy who knocked the ball on to give us the victory. And But they were – and now I'll talk through exactly like <clears throat> how do you defend a team that's like this? See, what Golden Gate was able to do and, – and Paul always says something. He goes, I don't want to use more bullets at the breakdown than they have bodies. So he's like he considers each of his bodies a bullet. And he wants to use less bullets than the other team. So their whole philosophy is to keep the ball alive. They're constantly looking to get their hands free. They're looking for the early offload. Every single phase option they have has gamble runners coming through. They, they, they have 
guys know exactly where those offload guys are coming from. So, and and they were bigger than us. And so th- this team is not, and they're not afraid to stick to this game. They're not. They're 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 okay being down fifteen points playing like this. They're okay being up by three playing like this. They will play like this. Not only that, they'll maul you. Not so much to try to score, but to try to overwhelm you and try to overwhelm you with their bigness and their bodies and just make you deal with their weight. And then you just feel like, Jesus, I'm getting out of this and I can't, I can't even move. My legs are dead. And then they pop you. And that's what they look to get you. So what we did is we said, okay, we're cool. One-on-one, t- we, we played a very, very standard defense. But we knew that they went short. They went forwards, forwards, backs. Forwards, forwards, backs. So what we did is we blitzed them with our one, two, three, four off those forwards. Every time they ran to the forwards, and then we played them soft when they went to the backs. So what we did is, if say for instance, you were the primary ball receiver on whatever play they had going on. We would go for a one-on-one tackle on you, and the other two guys would cover the hustle and jam line because we knew that you were going to look for the offload. There was no doubt you were looking for the offload. So we were just looking for bodies, and we were getting between the pass and the body. And if, if you had any momentum in what you did, we didn't counter ruck. We just reset our defense line and got numbers into it. In the event that we caught you behind the game line and dominated that contact, we counter-rucked like mad and got turnovers. And that's what we did. And when they kicked to us, we would run it back. And we just figured it was going to be so hard for us to get the ball that we weren't going to we weren't going to do. The other thing is Golden Gate scores a lot of tries off quick tap penalties. And they also score a lot of tries on knock-ons. So when you spill the ball. So what we said is this. If we spill the ball, you better dive on that thing like it's 1993. And I don't care if they stomp you in the next month. You dive on that ball and keep playing it like it's ours. And if they spill the ball, don't count on the call. Dive on the damn ball and we'll win the turnover off a dive. We'll win the turn. We're not going to try to pick it up and be heroes and try to out-athlete them. We're not going to try to pick it up and make an offload. Kill the ball, secure our possession, we'll get into shape, and then we'll start hammering them again. And the thing that we were scared of is that we would try to play their game, that we would try to play the offload game. And what we knew is that we can take the game five, eight, ten yards at a time, and eventually we'd get our break. But we couldn't try to force 30 and 40-yard moves like they could. They didn't force them. They practiced that way. Their philosophy is to play that way, and that's the kind of players they have. We don't have those kind of players. Like, we don't have guys who run under a five flat or, you know, they may run a four nine or something. We don't have guys like that in our forward pack. So we have to do things kind of boom, 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 boom. And we have to be set and we have to run angles and we have to keep our feet and try to – so our whole thing was they're bigger than us, so we're going to knock them on the ground. 
but we're small and we're going to keep our feet and we're going to make we're going to knock them backward we're going to put them on the ground and we're going to stay on our feet so that we can continually go from place to place but they got to get up and every time they do something they got to get off the ground to go do it and they got to get up to do it get up and do it and when you make big people get up off the ground and have to go do something productive eventually that starts to wear them out all right Bruce we're running out of time so I just want you to quickly tell me why American rugby needs a combination of philosophies of your two teams to be successful. Essentially, essentially the, the athletic club team was very, very conservative. And, and we did what we had to do to win games within our competition. But in order, and Golden Gate played a game that was very, very aggressive – and possibly, you know, we wouldn't be able to play that game, the Golden Gate style game against, say, in Australia. We'd get annihilated because there'd just be too many mistakes. You, you start throwing 50-50 balls. If you try to up the pace against a team that's better than you and, and you just try to play that kind of – they're going to kill you with it. On the flip side, we can't play – conservative games against teams that we're better than or should be better than. So there's a middle ground. There's a combination of like we have to – you have to be strong in your set pieces. You have to be strong in your restarts. You have to be strong in your defense. All teams need to be that. But in in the loose play, there has to be a combination of when do you offload and can you offload effectively? Can you get people running into the line? And, and, and our biggest problem we had all year, although we get into formation, was getting into formation with depth run, and timing our runs so that we could be the most effective team. And I think that if, if, you, if you get yourselves into formations and you time your runs and you come at depth and you can do it consistently, then you could play – much more of an offload game because you're going to isolate defenders more often. And what we did is we tended to play pretty close to 10 or pretty close to 12 or pretty close to 9, and we didn't really isolate anybody. We kind of just ran a pile of bodies into a gap and just kind of tried to walk that gap three or four yards back. So, But if we we could get a, a combination game where like Golden Gate tries to keep the ball alive and the A.C., tries to keep the game alive by going through multiple phases and sustained pressure. There is, there is a happy meet. You do need to score easy tries to beat teams. You do need to score tries that where the holes just open up for you. You get that offload or a great play. You got to let great players be able to make great plays. So you can't just be conservative and you can't just be, and you can't just chuck it and force things either. And I'm not saying the Golden Gate did that because they didn't. <laughs> They, they weren't, hey, lava, lava, man. That's not how they played. But I think that we took them out of sorts and that I, I don't think they expected us to cut off all their passes. I think that they knew. I thought that they figured that they were going to be able to get those offloads off. And I think that by taking advantage of the gaps that are on the inside, because teams will, will do the jam line and not as much the hustle line, by taking advantage of half breaks and being able to strike from the inside by having dedicated runners that go and do that, I think that we can have a combination game plan that possibly we could be more high-powered offensively and, and I think that we could use, and, and we could use 
I, I call it creating offensive opportunity through defense. And I think that we have to create offensive opportunity through defense. And when we have attacking opportunities that we can't just play safe and not move the ball through hands or, or we can't, we can't not believe in our skills. And I think that golden gate believed in their skill, whereas the AC believed in their plan. And there's a combination in there that would make America better. Like that, that something in between that is what the, is what the rugby has to be. I think you're absolutely correct, Bruce, because a good offloading team that chooses when to do it and has a bit of doubt in the opposition's mind is a far more dangerous team. Will he run? Will he offload? That's the, that's the secret. Because you, if, once you get the defence in two minds, you've got the game half won. Because the, the, it's like the great fly half. Is he going to pass? Is he going to kick? Or is he going to run? And if he, can, if he can go run, 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 and then all of a sudden, bang, he's kicking or he's passing, you just mix it up enough to become a little bit unpredictable, then you're going to be, you know, a better team. I think it's part of your armory anyway. All the great ones, exactly what you said. And, and, and obviously the key to all these are your 9 and 10. Your 9 makes 60% of your passes. Your 10 makes probably the other, another 20%. And the only other passes that are really made are when the guy kicks the ball to the winger to fullback and – and order number eight who or six, whoever you have standing back there with them, and they sling the ball across. And that's it. It's pretty it's pretty interesting. Yeah, true. Um uh, And I'm not saying I'm not saying that to, to, to just play safe. I'm just saying that Oh well see I'll in, give you Australia's a great example that the um, the forwards are now doing some lovely interplay with with some passing. They're doing the hard work. They're not. Sh- they're not. They're certainly not um, shirking their responsibilities. But what you're seeing now is rather than being a decoy runner, well, this is not even a decoy runner. No one. No one's expecting them to get the ball. Like an Al Baxter for so many years was forbidden from touching the ball, but he was just running with no purpose. Now forwards like Ben Alexander, who unfortunately got injured against Fiji, and man, wasn't that? That was just a full frontal assault against Fiji. I can tell you, they were out to take. Uh, what blokes. was it? Forty something. Forty well, something. The, the, the Fijians were out there to take some heads off. So Matt Guido was targeted uh, unbelievably, um, enormously in that match. However, you see, you, what you're seeing is a lot of the Queensland rugby style from this year that Ewan McKenzie uh, brought into the game with Quade Cooper at ten. Uh, yeah. and using the wonderful uh, inside channel, but he mixes it up, and the forwards are involved in that as well. Uh, as uh, Ben Alexander said to me in a, um, the Q&A for the match program, uh, before he, and, and Bruce, how about this? The headline was break a leg because it, there was a story about him <laughs> a couple of years ago, and he almost broke it. Um, he's out for six weeks with uh, knee ligament damage. However, um, the thing is, he said, as part of Robbie Dean's coaching, they all have to be a threat. And the more threats you have, the harder it's going to be for the opposition. So rather than just scrum all day and do a line-out, they've got to contribute seriously with the ball. And despite him uh, playing well as a, as a front rower, as a loose head and tight head prop, he scored a number of tries because not only has he been the threat, he's actually got across the line because of the interplay of the forward. So... There's, there's something that's changed in the Australian game there, and it's pretty exciting. Uh, there was a lot to like about that first match, and it'll be interesting to see how they mesh up against England this weekend. You know what? Can I say something? I, I, 
one of the reasons that the AC really started running the ball from our end and 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 playing with the ball in hand was it wasn't so much that I had spoken to Ewan because obviously during the Super 15 season he's he's not he's not as available to uh, for conversation and whatever. But I had watched the Reds play and I was very impressed. And I and just before the show I was talking to him and I said uh, I said I'll tell you you know a lot of what we did was because we watched you play and said and 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 I remember saying to Mike I'm like you know what. If that team can do it in the Super 15 with a bunch of 20-year-olds, we can do it in our league. Because we had – we for the first time in our lives, it, it, we had a 10, a 9, and then we had eight forwards that we actually trusted to run the ball. We've never had that before. We've always been such a – when I say we were structured to the point that would have made Eddie Jones seem like he was a free-flowing guy. <laughs> I mean, we basically said, you go here, you go here. It's like, this is who hits this ruck, and this is where you go in the next phase. I mean, everything was scripted and structured to the point of where you would have wanted to hang yourself. This year, we actually had people who understood how to play and who'd been with us for a while, and they were all like all Americans or Eagles or came from great high school pedigree, and we trusted them. And they trusted us and they trusted each other. And it was – and because of that, we were able to play rugby because they believed in it and they believed in each other. And and a lot of it was, was really getting us to be – to let them play. And then the only thing we asked them to do is to buy into Mike's defense and they did. And they really bought into Mike's defense – and it saved us. And and but as much as, as as our defense saved us, I gotta say that I have I have yet to see a defensive stand in America like what Keeler did to us for a sustained period of time. It was it was it was those players should be commended for what they did. They stopped every single thing we had for ages. Well, and it was great. Yeah, and as I said, a great advertisement for the game. Just a truly yeah. great final, Bruce. And uh, it was good to see that um, it was such an, an epic uh, scoreline too. With the, can with I say? Can games. I say one last thing? And I, I don't. I, I wasn't able to because I just hadn't had time. Wasn't able to listen to the international show. And, and I, I'd be interested to just hear the, the Reader's Digest version of what these guys thought about a grand final. But in the three grand finals that we've played in. We just treat it like another game. Yeah, we don't even like. We, we don't we, do we anything we, different. We, we don't even. We yeah. don't even bring it. We don't even bring it up. We uh, we uh, but it's it's the thing around it. It's everyone else's expectations. You know, it's the it's the big game. We talked about this in depth. If you want to want to know from some guys who've been at the uh, at World Cup stages, um, yeah, listen to the show on Rugger Matrix International last week. Because uh, we go through it in depth with with Les and I've been there before with Ewan and um, and there's been some heartache but Ewan's also been through it uh, successfully as well but yeah it's yeah. Uh, and, and and you know it's it's a tough thing because people sometimes choke when when the big game comes when you just go out there and do what you're supposed to do yeah yeah absolutely all right Bruce great to speak to you again great to have you back on board hope it all goes yeah. okay with with Mum. 
and um, we will speak again next week uh, after the uh, Saxons game. Yeah, and if we don't have if we don't have Eddie and or Kieran, we'll try to get Nigel. We'll try to we'll get we'll get something good going on. We'll see we'll we'll see what's going on. I, I'm I would venture to say it. Eddie likes to go on the show, so I think it'll I think it'll be Eddie. I don't know if Kieran will go on with him. I don't know if he'll go on with Kieran, but we'll give it a shot. So if anybody's listening from Canada, anybody's listening from America. Write blogs and put pressure for them to be on together. <laughs> <laughs> We've actually spoken to Kieran Crowley before uh, on the international show too. Yes, so, yes, um, yes, yeah, yes. Good, good man. I was fortunate enough to be on that show. Yes. Actually, Eddie was on the same show, wasn't he? Uh, no, it was just Kieran. No, no it was just Kieran because he was driving through the Rocky Mountains. He was going to the Rocky Mountains, <laughs> so it was a bit hard right. to get them both on. Yeah. All right, mate. He's Thank actually you. on Skype right now. Oh, look out. <laughs> now, we've gone long enough, Bruce. We've gone long enough. All right, brother. All right, good to, good to speak to Bye. you. Well done last week, and uh, well done to the Eagles, too. We'll have more news on them and Rugby USA-wise on next week's show of Rugger Matrix. USA.